Welcome to the Trumpet Call Podcast. I'm your host, John Martin. I'm here with Tom Burke, who is in Detroit. Tom, thanks for joining us. Um, what What are you doing up in Detroit these days? Well, it's an honor and a joy to join you, old friend. And uh, we are in Detroit since 2010. Uh, we spent the first um, five years of our involvement with the Navigators as active duty Air Force, and then 25 more uh, ministering to the military in Virginia, England, Maryland, and Ohio before we made it home to where we grew up and where we were high school sweethearts, which is right here in the Detroit area. Uh, the Lord threw us a curveball after we'd long since uh, you know, surrendered geography. 30 years into our marriage, we moved home unexpectedly to lead the city team uh, here in Detroit, which was also then walking away from the military version of the Navigator's Ministry for the first time. And I did that for eight years. Ann and I led the team here in Detroit till 2018. At that point, we handed over the reins to Christy Montero as the third city director in Detroit's uh, team history. And uh, we're still part of that team locally, still trying to make a difference locally. But I spend the bulk of my time overseeing the directors of our 18 city teams in the U.S. So a lot of time on airplanes and Zoom calls, but still trying to keep my feet on the ground and live as a disciple and a disciple maker here in Detroit as well. Awesome. Tom, thanks again for joining joining us. And uh, thanks for all you who have tuned in to listen to Tom. I, I wanted to interview Tom just with your background in the military. So I know you're not with that now, as you uh, just shared, but uh, valuable experience. And um, I've had some awesome, profound experiences with you and hearing you throughout the years. So um, today we're talking about the fifth mark of a disciple maker, which is advancing the gospel through spiritual generations. Hopping right into it, Tom, how would you describe spiritual generations? Well, I thought about that because I knew that's what we were talking about today, John. And, and to me, it's a simple but powerful term that simply describes our desire to see that our own spiritual descendants will end up having spiritual descendants of their own, just like we hope to become grandparents when, our, when we have children. We look forward to the day when they'll have children. Dawson Trotman said, spiritually, it's the same, and we are born to reproduce. Uh, sadly, as you know, uh, probably the majority of uh, Christians uh, feel they're kind of spiritually sterile. They don't even think they're qualified, and they think they should leave the ministry to the professionals. And They just kind of show up and listen and try to be good people and read their Bible once in a while, and that's all there is to it. It's rather passive, and some people have referred to that state as... Um, as being a spiritual dead sea, which uh, is a tragedy in my mind. Hmm. Yeah, by spiritual dead sea, you're talking about somebody who just they receive input, but nothing flows out of them. Yeah, um, and the reason the dead sea is called dead, as you know, John, is if there's no outflow and there's only inflow, there is no life in that water. And hmm. the same is true for us. Our, our own relationship with Jesus doesn't fully come alive or stay alive unless we're giving it away. Hmm. Well, those are great words. We could end end on that wisdom, but we won't. Um, so how did you, what's your story, Tom, and how did you go from being an unbeliever to a believer having just a quiet time to being somebody committed to spiritual generations? Yeah, so uh, I got to give you a little backdrop there. Uh, Ann and I are Navigator babies. That means we actually came to faith through the Navigators. Uh, many people are just kind of helped along to become disciples and disciple makers, but a guy named Steve Draper, who's now a longtime navigator staff himself, but at the time was a school teacher in Hampton, Virginia, just volunteering his time to help reach military folks at Langley Air Force Base. 
I'd only been, I think, at Langley for maybe a week or two and was home planning a wedding here in the Detroit area. And I'd just gotten out of boot camp. And Steve dropped, knocked on my door, my dorm room. And he said, hey, uh, so-and-so tells me you're new here and they saw a Bible in your room. Uh, I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, we're, we're going to start a Bible reading group in this dorm. Would you like to be part of it? And John, I had just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for the first time to ever read the Bible for myself in boot camp. Um, so I said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to, I, I just started reading the Bible. I'd like to do that. And then Steve used an old navigator trick to make sure at least one person showed up at the Bible reading group. And he said, hey, can we have it in your room? <laughs> I said, sure. And uh, probably more often than not, it was just Steve and me there. Other times, as many as three or four other guys would join us. But Steve read the Bible with me for several months. And uh, one night when he left, the, the veil was taken away from my heart, as the Bible says. The lights went on, however you want to describe it. And the gospel suddenly made sense in a very personal and practical way. So I asked Christ into my life. This was a uh, Saturday night, I think. And on Sunday evening, I called Steve and said, hey, Steve, after you left, I asked Christ into my life, what do I do now? And there was this long, awkward silence as Steve either dropped the phone or had a short passing out <laughs> episode. But eventually he said, wow, that's great. Uh, what time do you have to be to work in the mornings? And I said, 7.30. He said, could I come by and pick you up at 6.30 every day this week? I want to show you something called a quiet time. And I liked mm -hmm. Steve and I trusted him, even though I was wondering what the heck is a quiet time. And he, I said, okay. And, and five days in a row, Monday through Friday, that first week as a believer, Steve picked me up, took me out to the edge of the Chesapeake Bay. And we watched the sunrise, read the Bible, prayed, very simple prayers, very simple discussion of the short passage we read. And I was struck by how familiar with Jesus uh, mm. Steve was. And I remember even thinking, wow, he's praying with his eyes open. Is that allowed? Um, mm. but, but it kind of furthered this idea, like he really knows and enjoys Jesus. And at the end of that uh, five days, he said, did you like that? And I said, oh, I loved it. And he said, do you think you could do it by yourself? And I said, yeah, well, I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was hooked immediately. And, um, you know, we have a saying in the Navigators that it's caught more than it's taught. And Steve didn't give me a book on disciple making or preach to me or take me to a seminar on how to have a quiet time. He just did it with me, a spiritual mm -hmm. apprenticeship. But what followed that, to get back to your question, John, is immediately Steve believed long before I could that God wanted to use my life to influence other lives. Um, and he kept helping me grow in my new faith, but also he knew as I did, and it changed me, that fellow Air Force people at work and in my dormitory would begin to be curious and ask questions, just like it says in 1 Peter 3.15. And when they did, I wanted to bring them to him or him to mm -hmm. them so he could lead him to Christ like he did me. And he refused. In fact, I got downright frustrated with him. He said, no, I'll help you do that. And I said, I can't do that. And one time he convinced me to try. He taught me how to share this thing called the bridge illustration. Um, I, I went and tried to share it and it came out upside down and sideways. And the guy <laughs> walked away more confused than before I shared it. And I was just crushed. And I went back and told Steve, like, I knew I shouldn't have tried that. That guy's going to go to hell because of me. And he said, no, that's not how it works. You're just one link in the chain. God's going to bring other people. And he continued to do that. And one time he duped me. He was talking with one of my friends. He agreed to go out to dinner with us. I thought, all right, here we go. And he kind of did some preliminary discussion. And then to my shock, I heard him say, well, Tom has learned an illustration that I think could clear that up for you, Hal. And then he just shut up and smiled at me. 
<laughs> so I had to share the bridge and it came out a little better. But anyway, long story short, John, by the grace of God and the persevering prayer uh, of Steve Draper, I, Ann and I led about four people to Christ in the first year or so we were believers, hmm. even though I look back and every time I shared the gospel, <laughs> I can't believe someone actually put their faith in Christ after hearing that, <laughs> my version of the gospel. But but I think it was really God at work and them seeing our changed life. And then we started taking them through the lessons on assurance. And, and the, the reason we took them through that is because it, it was the only Bible study we'd ever been through at that point. And, hmm. uh, and I, you know, I, I've heard someone say uh, leadership in the kingdom can be just a step ahead and headed in the right direction. And that was our experience. And we've just never recovered from seeing God use our life that way. Hmm. Man, that's a great story. So um, for those of you listening, Tom, you have nine children. Yes, we do. Nine, nine kids and eight grandkids. I think I was at, I was actually at a navigator uh, conference when Mike Darnell said he just got off the phone with you and said that you had a baseball team. So yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that and I was just, I was really confused and um, now I'm not. So, uh, so you have, so as a family man, sometimes I think that there's this competition of like the spiritual generations and, you know, can I, can I do both? How do we do both? Uh, so I just, and Tom, honestly, just being the resource that you are and having the experience and, you know, having more kids than anybody else, you know, uh, <laughs> how have you done that? How have you just been able to continue this vision for spiritual generations? Well, there's at least one bigger set of experts and that's Mike and Narelle Whitney and man, they have, they have more kids than we do. So, oh. and they're still making disciples, but yeah, the, you know, that's the real, the real question, isn't it? And the short answer is sometimes we didn't do so well at that. We seem to err either on the side of, uh, ministry and kind of neglecting our family, or many times we'll correct and go to the other ditch on the other side of the road and so focus, you know, hunker down with our family that we begin to not really live in this way of a disciple maker. Um, keeping the balance is really tough. Warren Zanny said years ago, the only time we're in balance is for a brief moment as we're passing through on the way to the other extreme. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> and I think that's probably true. Um, but it helps us to remind each other that I think that this is about quality rather than quantity. You don't have to be going a thousand miles an hour. Skip Gray used to say, we don't see Jesus jogging through Judea or galloping through Galilee in the, in the Gospels. He did mm -hmm. not live that kind of life. And we don't need to either to make disciples. We try hard to have, John, our kids be part of the ministry with us as much as possible. They used to come to our weekly meetings at the Naval Academy and the Midshipmen didn't seem to mind that they were a little distracting at times. And we had people in our house all these years, as I'm sure you have. And, um, you know, I didn't want the ministry to be something they thought of as the thing that dad leaves us to do. Mm -hmm. um, even though there's a little of that you can't avoid. And I think one of the great fringe benefits, I bet you feel the same, you and uh, Sherry, that um, is that some of these military men and women that we had in our home, became our kids role models, kind of de facto big brothers and sisters. And, you know, what a great fringe benefit of giving our life away that our kids got exposed to that kind of people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. So as you've played that out, Tom, um, ha have you seen, um, this is off the cuff, but how, how have you seen just your commitment to family 
Um, and not, you know, as you've kind of walked back and forth on the balance of that, how have you seen that? Have you seen that reproduce itself? And in what ways, how is it? Yeah. Are you talking about, well, the modeling it for the people that have been in our ministry? Are you talking about our kids or both? Yeah. I'm sorry. Both. Yeah. I think probably if I look back, our children and our family were my greatest platform or credibility. Um, when kids, uh, when people in our ministry, whether it be military or later on in Detroit, saw our children and got to interact with them and saw the dynamics between us and our kids, though they were far from perfect, they got to see some bad moments too. Um, that that like made our faith and our life real. Um, and so that was really, really huge. And then for our kids, again, I already mentioned they had these incredible models. And I don't want to give a false impression that we have nine perfect kids. The reality is, is about half of our kids, I would say, are walking intentionally with God and half are not so much. They're either passive or just neglecting that. Thankfully, we still have a great relationship with all of them. And I don't think the story is over yet in all their lives. Uh, Jesus is a pretty persistent pursuer, though he's gentle about it. And uh, we see God at work in all their lives. So mm-hmm. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, I think it's just encouraging, you know, just as a family man myself, just to just the hope of not having to leave my family. I mean, I'm willing to, and I think everyone listening to is willing to do anything for Jesus, but mm-hmm. uh, not not wanting to do that just just because it's not a it's not a family thing or uh, yeah. whatever. How would say it? Yeah, yeah. So in the journey, Tom, has spiritual generations ever just seemed overwhelmingly impossible? <laughs> yes, it, it has many, many times. I'm sure that's true for anybody who's lived that life for a long time. There are many times when you just look around and you think, is anything happening here? Is is this going to eventually bear any fruit? Because it, it's painfully slow sometimes. Hmm. Um, the process of helping someone, especially if you start from when they're not even a believer in Christ yet, you know, it could take multiple years before they come to faith. Then it's a couple years before they really get walking solidly as a disciple. And then, then it's more years. And, and man, some folks, it seems like they reproduce quickly, but they're the, by far the exception. And there, I I'm ashamed to admit that there've been many people, I won't mention any names in case they didn't listen, that I would have kind of been tempted to vote the least likely to ever do anything with their life for Christ, who eventually, you know, 10, 15 years later, it all caught fire. They were suddenly grateful in hindsight for, our little part in their journey and they're making disciples now and they have been Mm -hmm. for a long time. So I I think it's, you know, we can't mass produce physical offspring or do that quickly, nor can we process the growing up of our kids in a fast way. We can't fast track that them maturing into, you know, successful, whatever you want to call that adults that doesn't happen overnight. And for most of our spiritual descendants, the same is true. Um, I mean, it can happen kind of young, but, I think the uh, youngest any of our kids was that had a grandchild for us was maybe 20. Mm. Uh, well, that's 20. That's a 20 year wait. Um, right. And sometimes it's that way or, you know, a little less or a little more um, for spiritual descendants. We get spoiled by those who reproduce quickly because that's that's actually atypical. And we got to stick with them as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. So is maybe uh, I'm putting words in your mouth, but Tom is. Is this has this become maybe a life message for people as you're coaching and helping a faithful disciple to make disciples? Is kind of the overarching thing is just just be intentional, but it's not going to happen overnight. Is that is that yeah. is there something yeah. in that or? 
No, I think so. Definitely, that's one of the messages I try to communicate to young folks that are new at this because they are, you know, just like I was expecting results quicker than they usually come. I think God does give us some quick results here and there just to keep us encouraged and keep <laughs> us from quitting. Uh, but but the vast majority of people, it's a years long process. Mm. And I do try to trumpet that message uh, to folks and say, hey, listen, and even try to give them spiritual eyes to see how God is at work and that person is changing and they are gaining a heart for other people, but it just takes time. Oh, that's great. Okay, how about some practical things? What's some practical things that you would coach me and everyone listening uh, in our journey to see God raise up spiritual generations through us? Well, this, this might sound like a hyperbolic run-on sentence, but I'm still going to share it. Um, <laughs> as I look back, I would characterize what it's taken to be part of God raising up spiritual generations for us and for those that we've had the privilege of seeing do the same. It's prayer-bathed, it's promise-claiming, and that's the approach to what I wrote down is a few different things. Selecting who it is you're going to build deeply into. Luke 66, uh, 13 to 16, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before he came down from a mountain and selected the 12 to go deep with. And those 12 guys seem to have gotten about 85% of his time and energy. Hmm. Um, so it's no small thing to decide who you're going to offer that to. And then second is listening. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Sadly, our natural tendency is the exact opposite. Mm. Uh, we want to talk a lot more than we listen, but I, I've found that listening is really key. My son went with me once to Rome. I spoke at a military conference in Rome, tough duty for Jesus. And my son was 21. He came with me. Uh, and I did speak three times at this thing, but I also, he watched me get a lot of time with people during the free times, you know, meals and so forth. And on the airplane on the way home, he said, Dad, I see what your secret is. I see what you do. And I said, what's that? He said, you listen to people and they line up to, to have you listen to them. Hmm. And I thought, I mean, I kind of got tears in my eyes. I thought, man, I wish I'd have realized that myself. <laughs> I thought it was all the profound things I was saying and doing. But, but he correctly pointed out, no, it's the listening that hmm. matters most. The third thing I wrote down that needs to be prayer bathed and promise claiming in its approach is sharing my life. That's what navigators do. Do First Thessalonians two eight, we loved you so much we didn't share just the content, the gospel of God, but our very lives. Hmm. And then uh, modeling, First Corinthians eleven one, follow me as I follow Christ. Most of us would like to, ooh, ooh I'm not worthy, but but that's how it works. Follow me as I follow Christ. And then the final thing I I'm going to steal from a, an author named Bob Goff. He said, try to be a spiritual Sherpa more than a spiritual guide. And he used, you know, rock climbing or mountain climbing. And a guide says, follow me. Uh, a Sherpa lets you lead and coaches you along the way as mm. you follow God. And so I want to do that. So, um, you know, and seeking to raise up that way leaders, not just followers. Um, I got to lay low on the preaching and teaching. And I got to help them discover things themselves and let them struggle and then debrief their experiences with them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Great. Great stuff, Tom. Thanks so much for that. And then finally, any resources you'd give us, uh, you know, besides, uh, obviously, none of us want to be trusting anything other than Jesus Christ in this journey, mm -hmm. but any any helpful things on the way? Yeah, there are so many great resources out there, John. Um, but as a caveat or a disclaimer before I mention some of my favorites, uh, it, I think it's really important to remember that it's about relationship and um 
more than resources. It, it's relationship first and then a little content and a little structure. We can't do it with no content or no structure, of course, but relationship has to be primary. Hmm. Uh, that said, there are three resources that are time tested that probably most navigators would mention. And I'll, at the, at the risk of uh, sounding like I'm from the Department of Redundancy Department, <laughs> I'll mention them. Uh, the Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, The Lost Art of Disciple Making by Leroy Imes, and Disciples Are Made, Not Born by Walt Hendrickson. Uh, there are many, many others, and I'd be glad to share more later if someone wants to get in touch with me, but those are the time-tested ones that kind of stand as foundational for me. Oh, that's excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining uh, us today and tuning in. Tom, thanks so much for sharing your life and your time with all of us. Um, and uh, we will see you next time on the Trumpet Call podcast.